0: Whether they be singers, actors, imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode, and from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de do day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest former studio executive, Max Howard, to the show. Welcome, Max. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on the show because I remember, you know, watching a lot of videos behind the scenes for MGM Studios, and you are on like every single one. So <laughs> this, <laughs> oh, is, this is kind of, no, 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 it's a good thing. It's kind of surreal to be talking to you today. So this is very exciting. And and first I wanted, before we got into the Disney aspect of your career, you know, could you talk a little bit about how you kind of made your way to the entertainment industry?
1: I was born into it. Um, my dad was an actor. Um, you can you probably tell by my accent, of course, you know, although I've lived in America and I'm a U.S. citizen. I I, you know I'm I've been here since 1988 I was actually born in the UK so I come from a entertainment family so you know from a very young age I was in there I did acting as a child um, you know became a producer director in the British theatre and so I was sort of ensconced in it what I wasn't um, or ever thought about a career um, was in animation I mean absolutely never considered it didn't feel I had the skill set I mean, it just wouldn't have crossed my mind. Animation to me was entertainment. It was, uh, you know, it was TV series like The Flintstones, and you know, of course, all the, the Disney movies of the era when I was growing up. You know, um, I don't know 101 Dalmatians, Jungle Book, all of those sort of pictures. Um, so it was a um, it was a, a complete career change when one day I got a phone call in London um, about managing a film, which was entitled Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And uh, it was a colleague of mine that I'd worked with in the theatre who'd now gone to work for Disney. Um, and I got a call, and I happened to have just managed a um, revival of a major play by John Osborne in London and had been hugely unsuccessful and closed. And so when this phone, when I received this phone call, Um, I was available, and the focal was, you know, this we're doing this film in London, and it's animation, and don't worry, you know, you'll get it, you'll understand. Anyway, I found myself in LA a week or two later, meeting all sorts of people, and suddenly there I am running an animation studio for Disney in London, working with the likes of Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, and of course, the famed animator and animation director of Roger Rabbit, Richard Williams. So I embarked on what I thought was the most tremendous and exciting thing because, uh, you know, unlike the theater where you're dependent on your employment um, based on the audiences that are either buying tickets or in my case on um, uh, the John Osborne play, The Entertainer, they weren't buying tickets, you had to work. So there I am being offered an 18-month contract to to, to, you know, run the studio in London for Roger Rabbit and to my delight and surprise, at the end of that, Disney asked me to come to America. Um, and that's where I, you know, spent six many happy years at, uh, at Disney in Florida and then over here in L.A. and um, But I remember, you know, right at the beginning, I, I, I thought animation was the most complicated process. Well, it is isn't not think it is the most complicated process because it lacks um audio, you know the artists to be able to work together in creating something uh, it, it's i mean yes they're all in the studio but when they're given a scene to to work on they work alone and um, whereas you know the theater to me or other forms of entertainment it's a collective rehearsal experience getting a play ready for production and then opening and that's you know that's interactive and and so that was the surprise for me but once i made my simple transitions of thinking oh well an animate a good animator is actually a very good actor because they, they understand movement um, related to their what they're thinking. How would a character react? And so I, you know, I managed to make some transitions. So, um, but it was a big surprise. So the short answer to my question: Yeah, I, I was born into the entertainment industry. But it, the the odd transition was this one to animation.
0: When we got to see the process up close at MGM Studios, it was I just remember being. Stunned and at what I was seeing. What was that process like for you to, you know, be in the fishbowl, as they said? I suppose I was responsible for creating
1: the fishbowl, or, or um uh, it was the most enjoyable experience, you know, setting up and running running that studio because for me it involved two things: this newfound love of animation and you know making these films and being part of something extraordinary, and now living in in you know in a new country. Um, but what I tried to bring to the fishbowl, as you, as you call it, is a re- sense of reality. You know, when we were planning the tour, we had all sorts of, um, you know, different options. And one of them was a one-way glass where when the animator looked up at the, uh, at the guests who were witnessing these films being made, they wouldn't be able to see them. They'd just see their own reflection. And I really didn't want that. I, I, I felt that if you're being watched Um, You know, you should you you should be seen by those those people. But um, what actually happened was a recognition of the supreme talent of the animator, because until that studio opened, um, the public didn't have access to how these films were made. Um, And so it it sort of bought out uh, a wow factor in in the people who visited the tour to to see my god these are artists they're drawing they're creating something and and actually whenever you did look up at the tour corridor and saw faces looking down at you what you saw were faces of admiration um and so it became sort of a joyous experience you know because people are going wow what a what a neat job how skilled how talented they are how marvelous they are so um you know i i I thought it the, the tour did a huge amount for um for bringing the 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 actual personality of the of the animators the people behind the scenes to the fore you know if you see a live action film you see all the actors and you know their faces you see an animated character you you of course go into the fantasy of that story and that's being told but you you know but you never have an opportunity to witness the people who 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 actually make the movies
0: and can you only imagine how many children grew up experiencing that tour and then saying I want to be an animator
1: I got two stories I want to share with you Uh, one is Byron Howard the you know director of uh, Tangled and this year's wonderful film Zootopia Byron started as a host in the tour corridor he was on the guest side one of the things that we did and I I wanted to make sure that you know the guest all the hosts at at the park you know they didn't in any way report to me or to the animation department they were part of parks but what i what we tried to do is make sure that those hosts are as well trained and as knowledgeable as we always you know try to invite them down to our side you know and feel part of us as opposed to the other side of this barrier
0: mm-hmm.
1: and byron is not alone but one or two other artists they graduated into our training program obviously byron already had great skill. But he took the opportunity implied for the internship within the animation department, successfully came in, and has had a career at Disney. So I, I love that idea that 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 somebody could transition in that way and have an opportunity that really there was be no other circumstance under which Byron would have had that potentially had that sort of opportunity. So that was that was Byron's story. My my second one is that I used to say to people because. You know, but if you talk to an animator and you say, you know, what motivated you to to become an animator? What you know, what was that? You asked me that question. where do you come from? What you know, how did you get motivated to come into entertainment? The animation question is, you know, to the animator is what inspired you. And normally, at a at a, at a young age, they saw the magic of animation. They saw a movie that so inspired them and they want to become an animator. So I used to say to the crew, I said to you, because you know, uh, obviously there was resistance. You know, well, we're just animals in a zoo. We're, you know, all of things, right, correct sort of fears, you know, um, uh, at the beginning. And one of the things I used to say is one day I'm gonna meet somebody who's gonna tell me, when I say to them, you know, what made you come into animation? They're gonna say to me, well, I visited the Disney MGM Studios. And I saw the artists working, and I went, "Wow! I got to, uh, I got to be part of. I, I, I want to be part. Of, that's what I want to do. I know what I want to do." And I said, "One day, I'm going to meet that person." And a few years ago, I met that person. Uh, he's a director called um, Tony Leondis. He, um, uh, he, he directed a, a film that I I produced a few years ago. and We were having one of those conversations, <laughs> and it turned out that he visited the tour, and that that changed his. His life, he was actually, I think, training uh, to become a Greek Orthodox priest because he has Greek heritage. And actually, I, so I took him away from his, <laughs> We took him away from his, really, he got a new inspiration. Um, but Tony saw that. And, um, you know, he now, I think Tony has a film set up at the moment at Paramount. He's worked at, um, at DreamWorks. I mean, he's a marvelous, you know, tremendous talent. And I, I just thought that was wonderful because it did fulfill that. And I, I thought that was, so I, 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 I wish we'd all had the studio still open and all of that still, still happening. So we could acknowledge it with the whole crew, but nevertheless, I mean, there's two wonderful examples, Tony Leanderson, Byron Howard.
0: Have you, have you been back to the studios since they yeah, kind I of removed my, I went
1: to the studios on the day that it closed in 2004? And, mm-hmm. and I'm still in touch with, you know, many, many of the artists. And I, and I think it was you know, a grave mistake for Disney to close it. I, I, I think that, but you know, it was, a, it was troubled times at Disney. It's not the Disney that it is today, which is sort of, you know, under John Lasseter's uh, leadership, and, and, and really acknowledging the past, present, and future of animation. John, you know, because he comes from 2D, he comes from CalArts, he knows, mm-hmm. you know, just think of Moana, it's directed by John Musker and Ron Clements, and Ron and John are from the previous group, you know, the directors of Aladdin and, and Little Mermaid. and um, they, they are still at the studio. They've just done Moana because I mean, so, John recognizes that, you know, he, he, he recognizes new talent because obviously he, they all spotted the, the talents of, of Byron Howard. Um, but also acknowledges the, the, the you know, the, the, the people who've made many, many films at Disney. So, I mean, they're a tremendously strong place. But back in 2003, and three four, it wasn't such, you know, there'd been tremendous transitions. A lot of people had left.
0: I know a lot of individuals who I've interviewed who were animators at the Florida studios, they said that there were a lot of celebrities that loved to come in and meet and greet with the animators, you know, beyond the glass, you know, not just standing mm. in front, but getting to meet them in person. I've heard, you know, stories of Michael Jackson and Robin Williams, you know, was there anybody very notable that you loved meeting and had a great interaction well, you
1: know, with? It was, um, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was because, you know, people celebrities who are at walt disney world invariably have their children with them and their children love you know love the disney films that we were making and lo and behold there's an animation studio so you know that it was not a hardship it was not us asking celebrities to come and visit for our own entertainment it really was celebrities you know want to bring their kids and behind the scenes and it was it was you know michael jackson came on many occasions i you know remember spending a couple of hours with him He was just such a fan of it you know and we walked him around the production floor, you know, in front of the tour corridor, which caused a little bit of a riot because people wouldn't leave. You know, <laughs> if you remember the tour, you're supposed to come in, you have a look and then you move on because another group are about to come through. But, you know, he was, you know, he was inspiring for us and, you know, he was inspired by us. And because his presence, you know, had, a, had that, he just absolutely adored, he adored everything Disney, but particularly the animation. But another very famous visit for us was Princess Diana who bought the royal princes, you know, Harry and William, Prince Harry and Prince William came to the studio. Um, I think it was probably about, you know, 1990 or 91, something around that, that, that period, 90. So they were probably eight and five or something like that. I do I'm, I'm completely guessing, but I mean, that was, um, well, of course it was amazing for me being, being a Brit. Um, I had met Diana previously, you know, in another, uh, but, um, well, it was fantastic. Remember the British royal family, you know, and of course one of the most iconic women in the world at that time, you know, comes to comes to visit the studio. So, I mean that was a highlight. And I hosted, you know, President Carter one day. We did a sneak preview for him. He was out of office. We did a sneak preview for him for Beauty and the Beast. He he had the family there for the Christmas season. You know, that was yeah, that was fantastic, you know. I mean that was such an honor for me, you know. It was wow. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was pretty special times and we were used to it. You know, you get a call from somewhere in the park saying, you know, someone's on property, you know, Um, we actually cast uh, Demi Moore in Hunchback of Notre Dame because she came to visit the studio. And, you know, I toured her around and she was, you know, and the next thing I knew, I'll take full credit for this. Tammy, um, but although it's not true, but essentially what then did happen? The next thing I knew, is that she she contacted her agent, who would contacted Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's and who said she would, you know, if anything ever comes up, she'd love to be in a, she'd love to be a voice in a movie.
0: And I always like to highlight the short film that is shown at the beginning of the tour, Back to Neverland, because I felt like that. We've we had the director, Jerry Rees, on the show, and he had some great stories about Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite. And Robin was very thrilled to watch the process of the film being made because he's animated in a, a lot of it.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that film's important. Um, and it was great. And I thought he was fantastic. And and, and and Tammy, it's not something I know where it is anymore, but... Bob Rogers, who produced the film, and I presume with Jerry, they took all the outtakes that Robin had done, completely inappropriate for the for the tour, for the storytelling, but the, the witty, sharp humour of he and Walter working together, who incidentally were a wonderful double act, you know, the classic straight man. I mean, Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite together, I mean, it, it's just a, it, it, it's so wonderfully opposite, you know. Yeah. It, it was fantastic. I thought Cronkite did so well in the film because he played it so straight. Hey, that was an honour for me. I got to meet Walter Cronkite. Yeah, I mean, that was fantastic. Um, but Robin, of course, was full of one-liners. So Bob Rogers and they put together this the, the same film with all the same visuals, but with different voiceover because Robin was so witty. So what, there's one classic Robin Williams line that, that that I can remember from this video, which is that when when Walter says to to Robin, "So these are the storyboards." And you see a big storyboard panel and Robin, as quick as a flash, says, oh, you do this for the studio executives who can't read? I mean, just the smartest, funniest, funniest guy. So, yeah, it was good. I, I, but I, I give equal credit to Walter Cronkite because, of you, you know, Robin had to have that absolutely straight person to play off. It was wonderful. So, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. It's always good to think back of it. I have a treasure from that from that film the there is no merchandising um related to that character to robin's character um and the film it was decided that it was wasn't the, the right way to go and that really none of the cells nothing would ever be distributed um but i'm fortunate enough to be one of four people who have a cell from that film so i have a I have a moment with Walter and Robin together. Robin is his animated character.
0: When you were there, there were a lot of fun things happening. Especially, I wanted to mention the Halloween parties because I did get to see some fun videos of this because you would host the costume contest, and uh, it just looked yeah. like that was well, a I lot was, of
1: fun. <laughs> well, there were two, two things. I mean, I was, I, I was a, I, I just wanted to make it real. And one of the great traditions in animation in California is that on Halloween, you know, this creative group of artists express themselves so i used to stop and you know it was entertaining because of course the costumes were extraordinary i did it in front of the tour, invited families people could bring their kids you know the artist families could come and so it was a big celebration and the, but the uh, actually importantly the tour corridor hosts it was very important that they were able to explain this tradition to the to the guests there was another there's another great tradition in, in um, in, in animation long on now because it's related to 2d drawing but you, know, you might have a stack of drawings you know that's two inches thick and and you 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 put a piece of card over the first drawing and you put a piece of card under the under the last drawing and then you put two rubber bands around them but these rubber bands are are much longer they're actually went before they're stretched they're about six inches and when so they can you know they because they need to be bigger because this is you know you've got 24 field animation paper that you're drawing on and so but these elastic band these rubber bands as a tradition that goes back to all animation studios people naughty boys used to fire them at each other because you pull them back and you you let them go and they they go, they they go flying. So from time to time, um, these fights would break out in the studio. But instead of instead of shutting them down, telling them they couldn't do it, I just used to, you know because I used to like the idea that you know you're an artist, you're huddled over a desk. You know sometimes you just got to let off steam. Uh, but I do remember getting a phone call from a very you know the senior, most senior executive at Walt Disney World wanting to know what the hell was going on in the in the studio because they had complaints from the guests. <laughs> I, I got out of it by telling them they were witnessing one of the one of the the the, the longest traditions of of uh, in, in animation dates back 50 years. <laughs> so I got away with it. <laughs> and of course, we didn't obey any dress code. Um, in in uh, facial hair was allowed, longer hair was allowed. We didn't we didn't conform to anything that's traditional in the parks, and that's not detrimental to the parks. The parks create an on-stage guest experience. But if you want the real anima if you want to really look at animators, you need to mirror what animators look like in L.A.
0: I was just going to say, you know, you've been doing so much since, you know, working at the studios in Florida, and there must be plenty of new projects you're working on now. So I, I
1: can't give you the secrets, but I can give you the motivation. I mean, my life now revolves around three locations, um, and it, and and directly to producing. Animated films, but I, I spend time in in LA, um, in Shanghai in China, and in London. And Shanghai is the new uh, latest departure for me, um, where I now have an apartment. I live, you know, I spend three months of the year in China. Uh, and it, there's been an evolution because, of course, in the 2D days, Disney only really, you know, the public wanted to see an animated film if it said Disney above the title. Then they knew it was going to be quality, and Disney owned the 2D space. Nobody's owned the CG space in the same way. Disney don't own it. DreamWorks don't own it. Illumination don't Nobody – Pixar, of course, are the leader, but nobody owns it. The public don't go, I'm not going to see that film because it wasn't made by Disney. So that was the the early days. When we went to CGI, it could only be done by these big companies with brilliant talents, both artistically but also – From a technological point of view, these were sophisticated software programs, very high-end computers. And because of that, the cost of making an animated film was prohibitively expensive. What then happened, of course, is the price of that technology changed. It's no longer um, required that you spend a quarter of a million dollars on one computer to get one artist working, which was the case. You know, in the, the SGI days, you know, the technology was too expensive. So that... Precluded people coming into the business. Now, what's happened is the technology has come down, the interest in animation is supreme, and now we're seeing independent filmmakers making films outside of the studios. Of course, reflected this year in the fact that we're 27 animated films in release. Of course, they're not all from the big studios, there's small independent films in there, creating a very healthy future. And so, there am I. I'm looking, I'm making films in several countries developing films in different cultures, um, always for a global marketplace, but now as an independent for a totally different price point, hopefully different types of films. So, yeah, that's what I'm up to. (laughs) That's what I'm up to. But I won't tell you what those films are yet. But I tell you, once we announce them, I'd love to come back and talk to you about them.
0: That would be wonderful, because I'm always interested in what the latest and greatest is in animation. So any project you work on, Max, I will be really excited to hear about. So (laughs) we'll end our interview. I have three Disney-themed questions I always ask my guests. I call them the Fab Three. So Mm -hmm. we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film would you always like to see over and over again?
1: Um, well, the film I remember most, I'm, I'm going to tell a slightly longer story here about this one because it's 101 Dalmatians. You know, and as I told you earlier about my career, you know, I sort of stumbled into animation. I found my way, but I didn't come to it with a passion that I, this is what I wanted to do. I'm a theatre person. I like live audiences. And But uh, 101 Dalmatians was a film that, one of the first films I remember seeing as a child. When my daughter was three and a half years old or four, and we were in Florida. You know, we re-released 101 Dalmatians on the big screen. And then three months later, the plan was it would come out on, a, on VHS, on a video. You know, and, and all, a lot of the films went through this sort of cycle. So, of course, I took my daughter to see 101 Dalmatians. And I found myself watching her watching the movie. So here I am, and my daughter, watching 101 Dalmatians. She's entranced by it, thinks it's wonderful. It had the same effect on me at a slightly later age. I probably saw it when I was eight or something like that, or seven. And I realized in that moment, I looked at her and went, oh, my goodness, these films that we make are timeless and that they go on entertaining. This doesn't happen in live action. It doesn't happen in theater. This little girl was watching this movie as though it was made for her. And what a connection you had between father and daughter. And then the next connection, I suddenly went, wow she might take her children to see the films I've worked on and it won't be going to see granddad's film. It'll be, Oh, it's an animated film. It's just to entertain that. And it it speaks of, you know, lots of the films that I had the opportunity of being part of, you know, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, you know, these films are still are watched by generation after generation. So the legacy for the animated film is one that is timeless and live action cannot boast that in the same way there are classic films that will always be shown but they're always shown as classic films you don't you don't you don't put that in front of a disney re-release of a film or a download you don't say that you know you acknowledge them that they're, they're movies and they stand the test of time
0: and our goofy question what disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person
1: Mini. because Of course, because I work. Can you imagine you're working in a theme park (laughs) and you have a young child and she comes to see Daddy at work and meets Minnie and Mickey. So at at a very young age, she had this extraordinary relationship with Minnie. She, She stopped by on the way back from school or from preschool and see Minnie and race up to her and tell her all
0: about her day. And our Mickey question. If I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind?
1: Um... Beauty and the Beast because it's such a it's such a beautiful lyric
0: the legacy continues and I and I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show Max because again as I said at the beginning I had seen you on VHS tapes and I cannot wait to hear more about your upcoming projects you're more than welcome to come back anytime you'd like
1: thank you thanks for taking me down 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 memory lane because I've really enjoyed it thank you so much So tough. What's this?
0: Look, my creation lives.